Hey friends, my name's Matt, if I haven't met you before. It's good to see you here this morning at Anchor. We're going to look at the Bible together. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got it on your device, go to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be starting at verse 37 this morning. So if you want to go there now. Just to flag with you guys, um, the next couple of weeks, um, we've got a, Tash and I are expecting a, a baby girl soon, which is exciting for us. So um, over the next few weeks, I'm taking a, a two weeks paternity leave and some of the other guys are going to be preaching. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing from Steve and from Brad and from Brian, which is going to be exciting. You guys are going to be really blessed by their preaching, They're godly men who love Jesus and love the word. And so look forward to those guys preaching. I'm kind of sad I'm going to miss some of them. But, um, so next week, our brother Steve's going to be preaching for us, which is really exciting. I'm going to pray. We're going to look at this part of Luke together. So join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. We thank you that you're a God who addresses us in your word. And we thank you that you don't just address the externals, but you pursue the heart. And so, Father, as we come before your word this morning, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for what you would say to us and speak to us by your spirit. Father, would we be ready to change, ready to put it into practice. We pray, Father, that you would convict us, transform us. We thank you for the wonderful gospel that removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We rejoice in that this morning and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've seen that NRMA ad where the guy's going for the job interview and he, um, he's... Uh, driving on the way to the job interview and it's raining and he drives past a car that's broken down and so he hops out of the car and he helps this person and gets them on their way and he gets to the job interview and he's late and he's wet, his hair's all messy, his clothes are all wet and he walks in and he gets the job. Why? Because people that are interviewing him care so much about the heart to help people and not so much about the fact that he was late and not so much about the fact that his hair wasn't nice and neat like all the other interviewees were but this is the guy who embodies what they want someone who's ready to help so he gets the job I kind of I like that I don't know if you like it but what we're going to look at this morning is is Jesus relentlessly pursuing the heart he goes after people's hearts and in particular he goes after the heart of the Pharisees so we're going to be looking at that this morning we're going to start at chapter 6 verse 37 so read with me chapter 6 verse 37 Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Sounds very similar to the words that we looked at last week, the golden rule. Do do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what Jesus is saying here is the way that you treat people is the way that you can expect to be treated yourself. If you're a total judgmental jerk, you know what? People will probably be a judgmental jerk back to you. If you set yourself up as God, presiding over people's motives and actions, then you can expect that people will treat you like God and demand perfection from your actions. You know the person who's like this, right? Always negative always critical, always nitpicking, always whinging, always complaining, always judging, always condemning. And this is the type of person who considers that their spiritual gift is the gift of discouragement. They just come and discourage you about everything. 
Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Roderick Howey was a New South Wales Supreme Court judge and he was one of the people who was very instrumental in developing New South Wales drink driving laws. He was quoted for saying that as um, judges had people who had been convicted of drink driving come through their courts, that, that judges were too lenient, that they were taking the laws that he had developed and they were just not applying them to the full force. In 2004, Roderick Howey turned out of his little uh, mansion in Beecroft onto Beecroft Road, struck the back of a semi-trailer, crossed four lanes, hit a car and was caught for high-range drink driving. And in irony of ironies, was sentenced under the very laws that he himself had designed and created. On his way into court, a reporter said to him, how does it feel to be on the other side of the fence? He didn't answer. She said to him, what do you think you deserve today? He didn't answer. That's a great question. What do you think you deserve today? After all of those years of applying the full force of the law, my suggestion is probably not going to work so well to go and plead for leniency. Well, he did. He tried. He got sentenced a six-month driving ban and 100 hours of community service. That feels a bit lenient to me. But Jesus says, if you self-appoint yourself as judge, then you can expect that same law to come down hard when you fail and fall and mess up. That's, that's what he's saying. But he says, you know what? If you're not judgmental, if you're not condemning, if you're forgiving, if you're compassionate, then people will generally treat you that way. But more than that, more than not just being condemning and judging, positively, he says, if you're forgiving, you can expect that people will forgive you. If you're generous in giving, you can expect that people will be generous in giving in return. And he goes that little, that little statement there that summarizes it all. With the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The, the way that you measure out another person's generosity and forgiveness, it's the same way that they will measure it out back to you. And he uses this picture of this measure that's shaken down and and the image there is of someone who goes to the the ancient marketplace to buy some grain and they take either a bag or a container and they go to purchase their grain the person that buys you know they purchase the grain from they pour the grain into their bag and then it fills up and then they shake it down and stamp it down so all the grain settles and they fill it up again they shake it down and pack it down until the grain is overflowing you go home carrying your bag with the grain falling into your coat that's that's the image Jesus says, if you are generous with people, most likely they will be generous back. I don't know if you've ever been to, um, to Indian. You get Indian takeaway and you go and, and sometimes you, know, you get the choice of two different curries. I like that one. So you go and you, you order your curry and you say, I'll have some rice with these two curries. I'll have you know, butter chicken and korma or whatever it is. And you order your two curries. And, and the lady who's serving you, she gets your little takeaway thing and she fills it up like nine-tenths of the way with rice. And then she gets your butter chicken. She puts like three little bits of butter chicken on and scoops all this sauce in there. And, and then she's like, you know, scoops one tiny little bit of chicken on there. And you think, that's not very generous. Same with the lamb. You get your thing, you're like, ripped off. Like, just give me less rice and more meat because I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to order a garlic naan now because that's not going to fill me up, right? And Jesus is saying, look, if you're stingy, it's not going to make you want to go back and order more Indian from there, right? I'd rather go somewhere else that's going to be generous and it's going to overflow. Now, it's important here that, to notice that this is a, a principle. It's not a promise. It's just a principle, a general principle of life. And Jesus really is picking up on 
the, the, the spirit of the Pharisees, the spirit of the teachers of the law and the Sadducees. We saw a few weeks ago that they come to Jesus and his disciples and they question him. So why do your disciples work on the Sabbath? Now, what's their definition of work? This is it. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. They pick a, a head of grain. They rub it in their fingers and they eat the grain because they're hungry. And they come to Jesus and they say, Look, you guys are harvesting. They're preparing food. And all of this is illegal and banned on the Sabbath. <laughs> are you serious? Like it's just taking a head of grain and rolling in your fingers and eating it. I mean, really? So he's going after this judgmental, critical spirit of the Pharisees. Hypercritical, hyperjudgmental, the kind of spirit that really pervaded all of religion in the day of Jesus. I remember a conversation once with a pastor at a, a conference. We were at this conference and um, he, he, we were just talking about how the conference was going. He was involved in actually running the conference. He's quite a well-known guy. And he said to me, you know, I'm, I'm just a bit worried about the pride of the preacher. You know, you, you give this guy a platform and I think it, I'm just worried it's all going to go to his head. And I remember thinking to myself, thinking, hang on a second, I'm not really sure it's your job to worry about his pride. In fact, it sounds like there's a bit of wounded pride and jealousy here and you probably should be worried about that more than worried about his. We're so quick to judge and lay claim to someone's heart, someone's motives. Friends, we are not the moral police. It's just not our job. It's not our job to be worried about other people's motives and the reasons that someone's done this because we, we don't get a window into their heart. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up as God because it's only God who can truly see a person's motives. We're not the moral police. You know, it's not just individuals that can have this kind of spirit. It's whole churches, in fact. Whole churches that, that can be critical and nitpicking and finicky and hair-splitting. and I don't want Anchor to be like that. I don't want Anchor to be the kind of church that is always pointing the finger at everyone else's problems and not realizing the problems that we have because every church has problems. There's no perfect church. And what we do is we look at our problems. We look at our sin and don't point the finger. Well, to demonstrate that, Jesus tells a couple of parables. Verse 39, this is what it says. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Now you, you know where that's going, right? Can a blind guy lead a blind guy? It's, it's not going to end well. It's going to end badly, right? Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall in a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take, the speck that is, uh, to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So this is it, right? Here's the deal. Got a log in my eye and I hate him. I, my brother, I just noticed you've got a bit of a, you've got a bit of a, Right? I mean, that's what it's like. like. I'm coming up to Tim. I'm like, Tim, like I'm, I'm drunk and I'm cheating on my wife and, and I'm stealing from my company at work. And I'm like, brother, I, I noticed that on the setup team this morning, it just didn't seem like you were serving Jesus from a joyful heart. And I just want to come and counsel you on that. Right? I mean, that's what it's like. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that, well, firstly, that I can help. Right? 
And it's absurd to think that I'm the right person to help anyway. The point is rather humorous that Jesus is making here. But what do you, I feel like I've got sawdust. All over, I've got a speck in my eye. Someone get it out for me. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's humorous, right? Jesus had a sense of humor, which is nice to know. But how can you notice a tiny little speck of dust and fail to see this giant log that's protruding out of your head? Hypocrite, Jesus says. Hypocrite. But the reality is, if we know our hearts well enough, it's always easier to notice the mistakes and faults in another person than it is to realize our own. Let me give you an example of this from my own life, my own marriage. A few days ago, Tash and I were getting ready for bed and brushing our teeth, and I picked up the tube of toothpaste. And like, I'm a little bit particular about the toothpaste, right? I like the top of it to be very clean. And there's all this like crusty, lumpy toothpaste. And admittedly, it's, it's getting towards the end of the, t- the tube. And, but I, I'm trying to put the toothpaste on my toothbrush and there's lumpy bits getting on there. And as I'm brushing my teeth, is like... T- and so I'm getting really angry about the toothpaste. I'm like, you don't know how to put toothpaste on your toothbrush. I know how to put toothpaste on my toothbrush. And I'm really good at it. And this wouldn't happen if you were as good at putting toothpaste on the toothbrush as me. And yet I fail to recognize that I've got four pairs of shoes and socks lying on the lounge room. Books sprawled all over the house. My bag, jackets, clothes, tissues, cups, everywhere. Like mess everywhere. And so here I am complaining about the little speck of dried toothpaste when I've got my junk all over the house. So easy, isn't it, to notice the faults of others but fail to recognize our own. Let me give you another example. I remember driving home from work one day. I was sitting at a roundabout. A car was coming from my right and I wasn't sure if it was going to go straight through or turn. So I, I waited and it looked like he was going to go straight through, no indication. He, he came and he turned left in front of me. I'm like, you jerk. Great indication, champ. And I pulled off and I've got a big four-wheel drive. And I go over the roundabout and do a little burnout as I go around the corner because I'm so angry at this guy. And I get to the next roundabout, put my left indicator on, turn. Oh, yeah, my left indicator hasn't been working for nine months. I, didn't, I was going to sell the car, right? And I just didn't want to buy a new indicator and, and pay for it. And so I'm driving around with a left indicator that doesn't work for nine months and I'm furious at the guy who's done to me what I just did at the next intersection. Right? It's so easy to notice the failures of others and miss our own. The Pharisees were just like this. If you remember that account in, in Mark chapter 7 when the Pharisees come to Jesus um, and, and they, they question Jesus about his disciples. They say, Jesus, we've, we've noticed that your disciples, they come back from the marketplace and, and they don't wash their hands. They've been in the marketplace, they've been engaging with people, doing business. Maybe they've laid hands on a Gentile, heaven forbid, and then they come back and they eat their food and we've noticed that they haven't washed their hands properly. Why is that, Jesus? And Jesus quotes them this from Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. He says, This people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Their teachings are the doctrines of men, the commandments of men. He says, you want to talk about a speck? Because just so you know, the whole food thing, the whole hand-washing thing, is not even a speck. Because it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, it's what comes out of a person. So we're not even talking about a speck here, but how about we talk about your plank? Because he says to them, you know what you guys do? You nullify, you make void the word of God, and you put your, your man-made commandments up here. And he gives them an example. He says, your parents are sick 
and old and in need of help and you've got all this money in your savings account that you refuse to help them with because you say it's Corbin. This, this money here is devoted to God. And so I can't use it to help my parents. And Jesus says, well, doesn't the commandment say, honor and respect your mother and father? And here they are sick and dying and you refuse to help them because this money is devoted. It's not like they gave the money away. It's like sat in their savings account building interest. Jesus calls them and says, it's a plank. This is the spirit that Jesus is going after here. He's saying, you know what? The person whose heart you ought to be most worried about is yours. Persons who, whose heart you ought to be most concerned about is yours. Fix, deal with your own stuff first. That's what he's saying. Then he goes on to give another image, another picture in verse 43. A picture of a tree and the fruit. This is what it says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a, a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. A very simple picture. He says, you can tell what type of tree it is by the fruit that it bears. A fig tree produces figs and a grapevine produces grapes. Now in a world of hybrid plants and the fruit salad plant, multi-grafted plant. Like, this illustration doesn't quite work for us anymore because we know that you can grow like six types of stone fruit on one tree. But that's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. He, he doesn't live in a world with all of this like botanical science and all that kind of stuff. right? He, he just lives in a world where figs produce figs. And his point is this. There is a link, an unbreakable link between the type of tree it is and the type of fruit that it produces, the roots of the tree and the fruit of the tree. And he says it's the same with people. There is a link between our heart and our words. There's a link between our heart and our actions. Now when Jesus talks about the heart here, he's not talking about the, the organ in your body that pumps blood around your system and sends oxygenated blood to all your limbs. And, like, he's not talking about that. right? He's talking about the center of who we are, the, the inner person, the, per, the part of a body that uh, our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, our actions, that all comes from the heart. It's who we are. And what Jesus is saying is you can tell what type of person it, it, they are from the inside by their external actions, by what they do. Now it's important to note that this isn't just a one-off. It's not like someone swears, you're like, oh, look at that person. Right? This is a consistent pattern of, of fruit, a consistent pattern of life that you can see. Our words are the overflow of the heart. And you, you know what that means? It means that, that when I'm driving my car and someone cuts me off in traffic, and I, I feel that road rage rising up inside of me. I'm so angry that I almost just want to keep driving and smash into the back of their car because they made my commute to work 1.5 seconds longer than it should be. It means that that circumstance is not the, not the reason for my anger. It's just the circumstance. The cause of my anger is from within. And the, the traffic thing is just the circumstance of my anger. Because my anger comes from within. It boils up from inside of me. And the circumstance brings it out. See, what comes out of me can only be what is truly inside of me. That's why I hate the excuse, I was drunk. You ever heard that one? 
Sorry, baby, I was drunk. Not that I've ever said that to Tash, to be honest. But um, it's because what does alcohol do? Alcohol just lowers the filter. And then the true me comes out. What's inside of us bubbles over in a certain circumstance. You know, we, we believe a lie today that we get told. And the lie is that people are generally good. Pe- people are good. We're good people. We just occasionally do bad things, right? So I, I'm not a bad person. I, I just lie. I cheat. I steal. I'm angry. I'm selfish. I'm lazy. Uh, I mean, where does that stuff come from? It comes from within. It comes from our heart. The Bible says that we're sinners by nature and by choice. By nature, by, by who we are, from this, this heart that is bent and broken. And, and it talks about the fact that humans are like glorious ruins. We're, we're made in the image and glory of God, and so that makes us glorious. So we're part glory, we're also part ruin because of the presence of sin in our lives. But what we usually do is we say, oh, the good things that I do, that, that's my identity, that's who I am, that, that's what defines me. And the bad things, well, that's not really me. It's, it's uncharacteristic. And the reality is that that's, that's just who we are. It's very easy to point the finger at the Pharisees, isn't it? And go, look, look at the hypocrites. Look at those judgmental people. Look how nitpicky they are. Look at the planks. And forget that that's the exact attitude that Jesus is talking about here. And fail to see our own failings and our own sin and our own heart. Or one, one final example that Jesus goes after, and that's a discontinuity between your words and your actions. Have a look at verse 46. This is what it says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When a flood rose and the stream broke against the house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built on a ground without a foundation. When the stream broke again against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus so is saying, why do you bother? Why do you bother calling me Lord, calling me God, calling me Master, and then never listen to me, never do what I say? What, what's the point? Your words and your actions don't match up. These Pharisees come and they say they love God and they say they worship God and yet their life is just not consistent with what's coming out of their mouth. If you call me Lord and never do what I say, Jesus says, it's like you've built a house without foundations. It's like you've just plonked your house on the sand at the beach and the storm comes and just washes it away. What Jesus is saying here is you can't call yourself a worshipper of God from your lips and not live like it. That's what he's saying. Jesus is not like a, a consultant. You can just pick and choose what advice you like from him and, and now he's Lord. And we do his word. See what Jesus is doing here in these, these little images and, and parables is he's telling he's relentlessly pursuing the heart. He's going after the heart. That's what he does. He goes after the heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet Ezekiel, hundreds of years before Jesus, prophesied this about what Jesus would come and do. This is what it says, Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle, you with clean, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, what we really need is not to become better people. We actually need to become new people. We don't need external changes and modifications. We need internal ones. We need a new heart and Jesus does that for us. He comes and removes that heart of stone that was cold towards God and cold towards living for his glory and he replaces it with a heart of flesh with new desires and new affections and new motives and that's what he does. And that's not just changed behavior. That's merely external. That's heart work. You know, external behavior modifications is like walking up to a dying apple tree and gaffer taping fresh apples on it. That's, that's just purely external. And Jesus is not interested in that. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in radically transforming lives. Not stick on solutions, but heart change. And the good news is that whilst my, my words and my actions reveal a heart that is, is broken and bent and sinful, the good news is that Jesus gives me a new heart. A new heart makes me a new person, transforms me from the inside out. And in fact, that frees me from having to pretend that the outside is all good. I don't need to pretend anymore because it flows from, out, from inside out, not outside in. I'm not, I'm not working on this bit in the hope that all of the external stuff is going to make me a better person. I've let Jesus radically transform me and that changes the stuff out here. Friends, if you're here this morning and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then we desperately want you to know this. We want you to get this about Christianity. It is not about behavior modification. Christianity is not about don't drink, don't, don't um, smoke, don't sleep around, don't do this. That's, it's not about just adhering to a list of rules. We, we desperately want you guys to get that. Jesus didn't come to create a, a new list of rules, right? I mean... The Jews and the Pharisees, they already had that, that market cornered. right? They were, they were pretty on top of the whole rule-keeping thing. Jesus didn't need to come and add to that or change them or bring new ones. right? He, in fact, he came to dispense with all of that. He came to radically transform people. He came to change the heart. And so my question for us this morning is, what do we, what do, we do with our sin? What do we do with that heart that is oozing out evil and, and selfishness and jealousy. What, what do we do with that? Do we just point the finger and, and make ourselves feel good by pointing out all of the other people's sins and ignoring our own? Is that, is that what doesn't feel like a great solution to me? Or, or do we let Jesus do what he said he would come to do and radically transform our hearts, give us a new heart, make us new people? And he did that by dying on the cross. He did that by coming and and being hung up on that cross to die for our sin. To take all of the selfishness that comes out of my heart. To take all of the lies. To take all of the laziness. To take all of the jealousy and the pride upon himself. And give us a fresh start and a new heart. And make us new people. Not better people. New people. You know, part of the problem is... If, if you call yourself a Christian, is that so often we can start trusting in the fruit. We can say, look at my fruit. Look at my apples. Look how delicious my apples look. Jesus loves my apples. 
when in fact you take a bite of it and it's rotten to the core. Because here's the deal. Remember what Jesus says? You cannot bear fruit if you don't remain connected to the vine. And if we sever ourselves from Jesus and start talking about all of our external things that we do well and start showing off our fruit, we've severed ourselves from Jesus because it's about us and what we've done and not about him and what he's done. And so our fruit is rotten. So friends, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, don't trust in the fruit. Trust in the Savior. Trust in Jesus. He is the one who rescues us. He's in the business of radically transforming lives. And that's what we're on about a church, as a church. We're not perfect people, but we're people who are trying to be made more and more like Jesus as His Spirit works on us and transforms us and changes us. And we hope that you join us on that journey. What we're going to do now is we're going to spend time reflecting on exactly what Jesus has done, on taking that heart of stone, removing it and giving us a heart of flesh. And we're going to do that by, by two symbols, by bread and grape juice. So as we respond in worship and, and reflect, I encourage you guys to not think about the person that you wished was here to hear this sermon, to deal with their sin, but think about your own heart. Think about what the Spirit is convicting you of, how He wants, to, wants you to come before Him in repentance and confession and ask the Spirit to radically transform you and make you new, make you more like Jesus. As you do that, come forward, dip the bread into the grape juice, eat it and remember that Jesus has made you new. That there's no longer this striving to create a perfect exterior because he's transformed me from the inside out. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our saviour. We thank you that he rescues us from ourselves, really, from, from the evil that comes from within. We thank you that he removes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh by dying on the cross for our sin. And Father, this morning, you just want to pause and reflect not on the sin of the people around us, but on our own hearts and, and, and our own lives. Convict us of areas where we need to change. Transform us by your spirit. Make us more like Jesus. We ask this in his strong name. Amen.